by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. It's great to have you all with us. Every week we get together and we look at the upcoming readings for the coming year. I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline and Vicar Daniel Golden. We're privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today, we'll be looking at the readings for St. Michael and All Angels. It just so happens that it falls on a Sunday this year. We we always celebrate this uh, minor festival. It's really a major minor festival, and it has been for quite some time in the church. It's uh, the minor festival that marks time in uh, the uh, liturgical calendar as well. The the long green season in the church, the Sundays after Trinity, are divided into three parts. And the last third of the Sundays after Trinity uh, follow Michael Mass. And so if you look at the old uh, liturgical readings and such, you will see Sundays after Michael Mass. And uh, we are now entering into that time. The uh, dividing line for this uh, second third and the last third of the Trinity Sundays is the Sunday of St. Michael and all angels. Pastor, do you want to say anything uh, about St. Michael and all angels in in general or as a liturgical day uh, first before we get into our... Uh, our uh, actual words of the text? Well, just to uh, focus our attention as we prepare to talk about St. Michael and all angels, we don't worship angels. We don't uh, fall down before angels. We have that recorded for us for sure in the book of Revelation. Uh, rather, we're still looking at Christ, and we're seeing the way that these angels uh, fight and, and talk and point us to Christ still. Uh, and so in talking about St. Michael and all angels, we still talk about Jesus, and it's important that we keep that in mind as we uh, go through this particular day of the church year. Yeah, I think that is a uh, I think that is a proper understanding of everything that we're talking about here, uh, and that's one of the things that'll that'll come out, especially I believe in our gospel reading for uh, today. There's there's two options for the gospel reading, and we just so happen to have the Matthew 18 gospel reading, one of my favorite passages to preach on, but uh, we get ahead of ourselves. We always begin with the introit, and the introit for St. Michael and all angels, selected verses from Psalm 103. Vicar, take it away. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So what's with all this uh, bless the Lord talk here, Pastor? What's going on? Well, um, <clears throat> what it is is it's a, uh, a confession of praise. In other words, uh, we're talking about how who our God is and how great he is and how wonderful he is and the faith that we have in him. And we're asking all of us together to bless the Lord. In other words, to speak well about him, to confess the truth about him, and to make sure other people know who he is as well. And so that's this blessing language, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a confession of faith because he's created faith in us. This is our response, if you will. So liturgically, can we make any connections here to that part of the service where we say, uh, bless we the Lord, thanks be to God. Is there any connection here or is it two completely separate things? No, I think that uh, it's the same sort of thing that's happening in that particular part of the service. And um, it is taken then exactly from these words of Psalm 103. It's kind of an interesting thing in that regard um, because it's these final three verses of uh, Psalm 103 that have this refrain, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Uh, I think it says it what, five times here. Um, Correct. And so uh, it closes off the psalm and is that confession of faith. And it's interesting then because the psalm also begins with that, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, uh, going uh, at the very beginning as well. So it's bookends to the psalm and all that's in the middle of there, which interestingly talks about the one who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. And so we see who God is in the the meat of the psalm, and on either end we have the bookends of confessing that reality and blessing him and thanking him for who he is. Uh, And we don't bless and thank God because he has an ego problem. And no. uh, he needs his ego stroked. This is, I mean, he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of blessing because of all that he has done for us. Now, the reason that this particular uh, introit is structured this way is verses um, beginning in uh, Psalm 103, beginning at verse 20, talks about angels. And so we want to we want to do a little angelology right now. What can we learn about angels from Psalm 103? So it says, "Bless the Lord, O you his angels." Um, how do angels bless the Lord, Pastor? Well, um, we have recorded for us in several places in Scripture what that looks like. Um, for example, in the book of Revelation, we see uh, the angels that are before the throne of God, and they uh, sing his praises all the time. We have the same thing in Isaiah uh, as well as at uh, chapter 6 or 7, where Isaiah sees the picture of heaven, and they're singing, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, the heaven and earth are full of your glory. And so in that way, these angels uh, are before God, ever in his presence, uh, and uh, standing in his holiness in their own stead, these particular angels we're talking about. And um, therefore, you know, they are before God, and that's a good place to be. Yeah. So one of the things that the angels do is they worship God. They worship they, God. They bless God. Okay, it's just that simple. The next line, Vicar. You mighty ones who do his word. What two things do we learn about angels in that phrase? 
Well, mighty ones, they certainly have a special sort of power, be it though they do not have a body, they're made of spirit, but they also carry forward his word, carrying it, carrying it forward to prophets of the Old Testament, whether it be when they're awake or when they're sleeping, they carry forward, forward the word of the Lord to do his will. Okay, I'm thinking of uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Angels are confirmed in bliss. What does that mean, Pastor? The holy angels are confirmed in bliss. That means that the angels who are still in heaven will never, ever fall from their grace, uh, never fall into sin like we have. Uh, They are forever before God, and that shall last forever, as opposed to the other angels, the fallen ones, which are forever apart from God and shall stay apart from God forever. And so we have both those categories, but these ones in particular, the the ones that we still call angels uh, in general, those ones are always in the grace of God. So when uh, when we confess in this uh, psalm, Psalm uh, 103, I believe this is verse 20, the end of verse 20, obeying the voice of his word. Based on what you said about how the, the good angels are confirmed in bliss, the good angels cannot do anything but Correct. obey the voice of God's word. They, they can no longer fall into sin. They will no longer fall into sin. All they do is they hear God's word and they rejoice at it. And uh, this is too then the same thing when they come and visit people, for example, Zechariah in the temple or uh, Mary at the Annunciation or any other time that an angel shows up. The things they're saying are God's word completely and truthfully. And we may be sure and certain of that because they cannot fall and they are confirmed in bliss and they do stand always before the throne of God as well and even reflect his glory, not only in the things they say, but also in their appearance. And so all this is good news for us. Uh, When an angel shows up, we can take them at face value, the things they're saying. So we've got uh, angels are created beings by God. There's a rebellion and uh, some of the angels angels rebelled against God and fell away. Those are the fallen angels that we call demons now. So we have good angels and we have bad angels. And at some point in time, and we don't know how exactly this all happened or how this works, at some point in time, angels had a a choice, an ability, uh, an option with regard to whether they were going to follow God or not. Since the fall of the angels, they are now confirmed in their their bliss, the evil, the good angels, and they are confirmed in their unholiness or confirmed in their separateness from God. There, there is no second chance for the angels. Uh, the evil angels will always be evil angels for all eternity. The good angels will always be good angels for all eternity. Now, you stole a little bit of thunder here, but I want to build on what you just said. You talked about how when the angels visited and the angels brought a word from God. It says, bless the Lord, all his hosts, and hosts is another, uh, the heavenly host, it's another name for angels, his ministers who do his will. How can an angel be a minister? When I think of a minister, I think of one who proclaims the gospel. Well, um, that's one way that a ministry is done, um, but what the word minister here means is more 
more in terms of a servant, someone who does the, does the bidding of the one who sends them. And in that regard, the ministry, the office of the Holy Ministry, uh, is ministering. We are not here for ourselves. We're here to proclaim God's word, to be servants of God in so doing. And the same thing is true with angels. They proclaim God's word, and that is their service then to God. Um, God is God. God doesn't need somebody to run to the store and pick him up eggs to make brownies. God doesn't need uh, somebody to, um, you know, vacuum his floor, things like that, because um, God is God. His needs are not the same. So where do you, how do you serve God? Well, you confess the word that he gives to you uh, when he asks you to do it. And so that's what the angels do in the ministry, and therefore they are ministers, and that's then also the same thing that pastors do in the office of the holy ministry. They pass along the word, that which they have received, they give now to others. How, how is an angel a messenger as a part of an angel's ministry? Yeah, um, the word angel itself means messenger, both in the uh, the Hebrew, uh, and it's going to be malach uh, in the Hebrew. That's the word that's angel, and it just means messenger. And in the Greek, angelos, which also means messenger. And so we see these angels primarily as messengers of God, but the truth is if... Um, if my son comes into my uh, living room and says, Mom says um, that we should have a snack, he's an angel in the sense that he's a messenger. Now, these particular messengers are a little more important than my son telling me they should have a snack. These angels are messengers that come directly from God. They stand in the presence of God, and the word that they speak comes from God, and therefore uh, they are uh, in that special office in that regard of, of ministry. Okay. Uh, we are looking at the readings for St. Michael and all angels. When we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at the gospel reading, Matthew 18, 1 to 11. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week on Proclaiming the One, we take a look at our upcoming readings to help you prepare for Sunday morning worship, help you in your private or family devotions. Today, we're looking at the readings for St. Michael and All Angels. A minor festival happens to fall on a Sunday this year. Uh, an awesome, awesome uh, celebration marks time in our liturgical calendar. In our first segment, we looked at the introit for St. Michael and All Angels, selected verses from Psalm 103, uh, 
couple of verses there teach us a lot about angels. And, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us everything we want to know about angels, but God's Word tells us everything we need to know about angels. So here is one day in our church here where we get to focus on the work of angels, God's gift of angels. And I think sometimes Christians want to over-spiritualize things where they'll focus so much on angels where they don't talk about God, they don't talk about Jesus. And so today, as we uh, prepare for our celebration of St. Michael's and all angels, hopefully we can strike a good balance to see how angels fit into the overall gift of salvation that God has in store for poor, miserable sinners like us. The gospel reading, and there's an option in the gospel reading, two different gospel readings for St. Michael and all angels, and we flip back and forth uh, every other year here. The gospel reading this year that we're going to be looking at is Matthew 18, 1 to 11. Vicar, are you ready? Ready. Go. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the, the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father, who is in heaven, for the Son of Man came to save the lost. Okay, boy, Pastor, we have a lot of uh, different things going on in this particular text from Matthew 18. And um, when people say Matthew 18, what are they normally referring to? Are they talking about angels? Are they talking about chopping off arms and feet and legs and plucking out eyes? Are they talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Are they talking about humbling themselves like a little child? Matthew 18, Matthew 18, Matthew 18. This is the, uh, the great uh, dispute resolution chapter of the Bible is maybe the way to say it. Uh, this is the, uh, if your brother causes or sins against you, what do you do to win him back to the faith? Uh, the uh, um, correction of error in the church chapter. Okay, and so 
a lot of times Matthew 18 is used as like code word for, uh, well, did you go and talk to somebody uh, and confront them one-on-one about their sin? Eighth commandment yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, I think it's important for us to look at the that end of the chapter stuff, and we're not going to get into that in this program, but to look at that end of the chapter, as you uh, mockingly tongue-in-cheek said, the dispute resolution chapter of the Bible, that if we look at those words at the end of the chapter in the context of everything that is happening in the entire chapter, uh, we maybe get a little bit more than dispute resolution out of Matthew 18. Is that a fair way to say it? It's true, and, and I, I probably shouldn't mock it that way, but the fact is that the chapter 18 is very greatly abused as a self-justification for, um, for wrong teaching and wrong practice and wrong Christianity. And so if, if I'm doing something wrong and uh, you come and talk to me about it, uh, I, I can use Matthew 18 as a way to get out of actually dealing with the error. So. Okay, well, let's take a look at Matthew 18, 1 to 11. We've got some angel talk at the very end of the chapter. It's almost kind of an, oh, by the way, angel flyby. And we get a lot of that in Scripture, and there's a reason for that. But um, in Matthew 18, uh, the very beginning of the chapter, some disciples came to Jesus, or the disciples came to Jesus, saying... Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Vicar, what do you think is going on here with this question that the disciples are asking Jesus? Well, as a sinful person, if I was a disciple following Jesus around through, through different villages and towns and seeing, and then being promised the kingdom of heaven, I want to know if I'm going to be the, the, the number one guy there. I want to know if I'm going to be Jesus' right-hand man. Um, who is going to be the greatest up there? We are right smack dab in the uh, middle or the throes of uh, football season, college football, pro football. Everybody and their brother has their rankings, the top 10, the top 20, the top 25. Um, I follow somebody on Twitter who has the top 26 just so he can be different. The uh, NFL has power rankings. Um, So... It would seem that the disciples really want to know, can you rank us, Jesus? Um, you know, can you, can you tell us who's the most important? And uh, in that way, we can feel really good about ourselves. Pastor, is there more going on here with this question than a simple uh, old Adam wants to know where he stands with God? Yeah, I think there's, um, there's other places in Scripture where they're definitely concerned about themselves. Uh, you know, they ask Jesus, which one of us will sit at your right hand when you come to your kingdom? And there's a dispute between uh, the sons of thunder and the other ones about that. In this question, I, I wonder if there's even something more about it. Who is greatest in the kingdom of God? You know, is, uh, is it Abraham? Is it Jacob? Is it David? Uh, who are these people? Which one of these great people of old is going to be the one that's uh, got a high ranking? Moses, even. You know, Moses didn't even, uh, he, perhaps he didn't even die. Maybe he just went right up to heaven. Or we could go back to uh, Genesis uh, in the first few chapters when we have um, also uh, another Enoch, Enoch that uh, did Elijah. not die. Um, we have all these debates, right? Which one of these guys is 
most important, which one of these is the best. And there is maybe even a theological dispute in that regard. You know, maybe somebody's saying Enoch, somebody's saying Moses, somebody's saying Elijah, somebody's saying David. Uh, you could get into this big argument, and what it's taking away from is the whole main point the greatness in kingdom of heaven is not something that a person earns for themselves, rather something that is imputed to them by the word of God. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to show this great example, you know, look, this kid, this little tiny kid believes my word and he's going to go to heaven. And so he's the greatest one, you know, uh, or, or really the, the point is by extension, any kid who believes the word is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so the way the world thinks about things is not the way that it's going to be in heaven. The way the world judges things is not the way that it will be judged in heaven. The thing that God is looking for is faith, and that's all that he cares about, and the rest you can do whatever you want to with it. And I and I think that is a, a fair way to look at this as well. I'm thinking of Romans chapter 4, where you know they got this big debate going on about circumcision, and some of the people are appealing to Abraham and some of the people are appealing to David and Jesus comes out and says uh, through the Apostle Paul says uh, you've missed the boat completely you know uh, it's not about your heritage here it's about hearing the word of God and believing the word of God and I think that same thing is going on here Uh, Vicar what do we know about this child that uh, Jesus uh, uh, calls up there in verse 2. Well, calling him a child, he puts them in, in the midst of them, brings them close to him. And I, I can't help but think of my children, uh, especially our youngest and the kids here in school. When you ask them something like, do you believe in Jesus and that he died for your sins? Without a shadow of a doubt, they're answering yes in the loudest. Um, and th- that teaches us of of how they humble themselves in faith that uh, without a shadow of the doubt, they believe that Jesus is their Savior that died for their sins. And I think that's an example that he's trying to set here. So we have, uh, we, we other than that, we don't know anything about this kid. Not a clue. Just, just a just a random kid. Yeah. No, no mention of famous uh, lineage or genealogy or uh, special beauty or anything like that. We just got a random kid. All right, just a random kid, and we got this random kid in the midst, and this kid is going to be the object lesson and the example. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So it isn't be like this kid, be like Mike. No, it is you need to be like children. Pastor, in the uh, time that we have left, Jesus is certainly not saying you need to uh, go find the fountain of youth and get younger. You can't crawl inside your mother's womb. We already had that conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. When he says, be like children, what's he getting at? Well, uh, I think the beautiful thing about children is is that they take people at their word, right? Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to tease my kids and and uh, you know make up some baloney thing and and tease them about it. You know, like um, for uh, 
for Christmas dinner this year, we're going to eat my youngest child's leg, you know, because we can't afford something. And they just, at the, at the beginning, they just take you for your word. Really? We're going to do that? That doesn't sound very good. Uh, and that's the beauty with children that I think Jesus is getting across, not eating them or anything like that. That's just joking. But rather, they believe words that are told to them. So when I talk with my kids about serious things, you know, like um, uh, the other day at the uh, dinner table, we were talking about the way that um, uh, atoms work and the way that they combine and separate to form different compounds and things like that. Um, When we're talking about it and you explain it to them, they just believe you. It's true, whatever you say. And that's the way a Christian ought to be in terms of God's word. When God says uh, X, Y, and Z, you know, we ought to believe it. When God says your sins are forgiven, we ought to believe it just the way that a child does. And so a child believes a word that is told to them, and Christians ought to do the same when the word comes from God. And we're going to hear more about this text from Matthew 18, 1 to 11, St. Michael and All Angels Day. And we're hearing the song of the angels in the background. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. K-N-N-A. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for St. Michael and all angels, which you heard as we came back from our break, was the very, very familiar Sanctus from Divine Service Setting 3, the Song of the Angels, Holy, Holy, Holy. We're uh, looking at the Gospel reading for St. Michael and all angels, Matthew 18, 1 to 11. We introduced it in our last segment. We uh, talked about the question that um, the disciples brought forward to Jesus, who is the greatest? And there's really a couple of different ways to look at that, Uh, a ranking of the disciples about which one of them is great, and also in part of the wider conversation. There's an ongoing debate in uh, Judaism at this time about who the greatest of the uh, church fathers really is. Is it Moses? Is it Abraham? Is it David? Is it uh, Elijah or Elisha? And Jesus brings a random child. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We talked about some of the attributes of children, and the one that uh, Pastor Moline said that really stuck out for me is children take people at their word. Uh, that means that children can be kind of gullible. You can lead them on. You might even tell them tales, tall tales about uh, tooth fairies and Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? Kids will believe what you tell them. And then if later on things that you tell kids you tell them is not true, uh, little kids become very big skeptics. And so I think we need to be very, very cautious with regard to what we tell our kids and what we don't tell our kids. I've learned this as a parent and grandparent the hard way. I like to kid. I like to joke. And sometimes those jokes come back and bite me or haunt me. So I think this is a, a great word of caution for us all here. Let's get back to our text in Matthew 18. Jesus continues saying, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Pastor, I want to start there. Um, I'm not sure that when I think of an attribute of a child, humility is an attribute that comes to my mind. Uh, kids can be brag, nah, 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 look what I did. Uh, what is Jesus teaching us here when he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, again, it's about the word. Um, the, the thing we're talking about, about a child believing whatever you tell them, um, it goes with, with this idea. Whenever one humbles himself in front of God and listens to his word and believes that's true without saying, how can that be? So, for example, the creation. God said uh, in the beginning, he said, let there be light, and there was light, and that's where the light came from. If we take God at his word, then we just say, okay, that's where light came from. If we're not humble, if we are asking too many questions, we say, that doesn't make sense. Uh, what if it came from here or there? Or, you know, uh, then we end up where the skeptics are or where the uh, others that, uh, that say, you know, well, an infinitely small, infinitely dense point of nothing one day exploded into everything, and that's where the universe came from. You know, so there's a difference there. Um, which, which place are you going to be humbled before, uh, have humility before, God's word or a different word? And that's Jesus' point here. So maybe this kid, this child, isn't a random child after all. Maybe Jesus, God in the flesh, omniscient, all-knowing, pulls a child who believes in him. And Jesus, able to look into the heart, is using an example of faith, faith in a little child who has humbled himself or herself before the word of God and has faith. I think as you read through the text, it becomes even more obvious that this child has been brought forward as an example because this child actually believes the word of God. Uh, are you are you with me there, Pastor, or am I stretching yes. things too much? No, I think you're right, especially with what's coming. Okay, so 
what's coming is uh, in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Is that the part you were talking about, what's coming? Well, even beyond that, whenever he's, when he says in verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me, just like this one, is his Aha. example, Aha. Uh, to, uh, well, I lost my place, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. In other words, if you take a child who does believe and you destroy that faith by introducing false words from a, a source other than God uh, and lead them away from the truth of God, then that's not good. So... Um one of these little ones who believe in me. Vicar, I don't know, uh, you were looking at the, and preparing for the wrong text here. Didn't realize it was St. Michael and all angels. Uh, I don't know if you have your, uh, your Greek out or handy or whatever, but uh, can you tell us anything special or unique about that phrase translated in the English, little ones? Yes, that is middle of verse Verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones. Yeah, one of these microns. So one of these one of these uh, very small ones. So this is not this is not by any means a uh, teenager or adolescent. This is a small small child. Okay. Uh, uh, could we possibly say babe in arms would fit that category? Yeah, maybe not even walking yet. Maybe not even walking yet. Uh, Pastor, uh, in our catechism study, we use this text as a proof text with regard to God's gift of baptism. How, how do we use that? Well, uh, we, we talk about even the littlest of ones can have faith because faith is not God's work. Or, whew, whew. There, error, error right there. Faith is not our work. It is God's work. Uh, and so when God creates faith, he's able to do it. And even those little ones who can't confess or speak or uh, tell you what they believe, but God still has the ability to work faith within them through the word, through the water, uh, and uh, through the hearing of, of uh, all of God's word. You know, so far we've been studying this text, the uh, first uh, 11 verses of Matthew 18, and we haven't heard one word about angels, have we? No. No. Everything that we've heard so far is about how precious children are, and these precious children are a marvelous example of faith. Faith is something that God gives. It is not something that we earn or achieve. Are we, are we tracking here together, guys, uh, so far on this text? This text is about God's gift of children. This text is about God using the example of children to extol his gift of faith. So let's keep going. Um, uh, it would be better, you know, if you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to have a millstone fastened around your neck and drowned into the heart of the sea. And then starting in verse 7, we have some pretty horrific law. Woe to the world for temptation to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Pastor, I want to say that the reality of sin and evil 
is all around us. But if you are the agent of sin and evil, woe to you. Is that a uh, fair poppy paraphrase? Yeah, I think it is. Um, if you are the one preaching a false word, uh, then you're responsible for that false word. And that's why it's so important that we make sure we say what's correct and right. And if we say something wrong, like earlier when I said baptism is uh, not God's work, you know, on an accident, just a slip of the tongue, when we make a mistake, we need to make sure we speak what the truth is and correct that mistake uh, because God holds all words accountable in the last day. And uh, this this goes back then to the commandments. The second commandment, you know, uh, use God's name properly. Use God's name properly mostly means teach true doctrine, not false doctrine. And so all this is connected. So let's apply this to God's gift of children and how God is using children here to extol the gift of faith. Woe to those. I mean, temptations are all around us. Temptations that children are not a gift and temptation that faith is not a gift. These temptations are all around you. But woe to you if you are the one to whom or through whom these temptations come. Or even to uh, ignore God's word in regard to a particular thing. God says you shall not commit adultery. Well, that's real nice and good for those people a thousand years ago. But boy, I really want to commit adultery. Or, um, you know, I was born this way. What am I... How, how can I change who I am? God made me this way. All those things. The list goes on and on and on in these things. The, the list does go on and on. And I want to zero in, laser-like focus, I want to zero in on the temptation that the world gives, devil, the world, and our flesh, the temptation that the world gives that children are not a gift. That specific temptation that children are not a gift. What are some evidences around us that people are believing the lie rather than the truth that children are a gift from God? Well, if we're going to specifically talk about that one, I'd say we need to talk about abortion. We would need to talk about this, uh, uh, the later um, bearing of children amongst people, later getting married, uh, the fact that we say, uh, you know, uh, one is all that I really want to have uh, rather than uh, having large families like we used to do. And we, you know, we're touching on lots of things here that, uh, are not very popular to say, and yet they are real issues that we have. I read an article not long ago that um, you can tell if people go to church or not based on the number of children that they have. Uh, if they have three or more children, then they are probably a regular church attender. If they have less than three children, one or two children, then they probably rarely go to church. Uh, and it's interesting that that's the truth, but that's because God does love children, and God loves people, and God um, blesses us with children. And if we see children as a blessing, we're likely to have more blessings. You, um, you may have seen uh, recently in the news where uh, an abortion doctor, I believe it was in Ohio, uh, an abortion doctor was found to have the remains of over 2,000 aborted babies buried on his property. Um, not buried in, in glass jars. Oh, in glass jars. See, I, I didn't even. So, so we're talking like trophies, like preserved, like yeah, preserved or trophies, them. like the like the animal heads that you have in your office, Pastor. Right. Uh, how depraved would you be have to be to, to uh, how little would you regard children 
and uh, life in the womb to be able to do such a thing. Uh, I think that this is this is a proper understanding and a proper application of this text that children are a gift and God is extolling the gift of children as he extols the gift of faith. And I think this is going to come uh, even more clear when we get finally to the angel part of this text at the end of uh, at the end of our reading. But right now we need to take another break proclaiming the one St. Michael and all angels. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are looking at the readings for St. Michael and All Angels, a minor festival, but a very major, major minor festival. Just happens to fall on a Sunday this year. So we'll have an opportunity to celebrate St. Michael and All Angels, not only on Sunday, September 29th, which is the official day for St. Michael and All Angels, but we'll celebrate it the following Wednesday as well. So we'll get a double dose of St. Michael and All Angels. In our first segment, we looked at the introit portions of Psalm 103. In segments 2 and 3, we looked at our gospel reading, Matthew 18, 1 to 11. We we didn't get through with it, so we're going to spend one more segment on Matthew 18, 1 to 11. Before we dig into that text, just want to remind you that we gather for worship every Sunday at 8 and 1030 here at Good Shepherd, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. All of our worship services are live on KNNALP 95.7. You can listen on your handheld device if you're outside of our listening area. Check out our website, the archives, um, many, many theological and community programs that are available there, www.thecross957.org. And uh, Pastor Moline's done a wonderful job of taking many of our theological programs and making them available via podcast. So if you're traveling, you can download those. And uh, I would just like to uh, remind you, don't listen to those while you're operating heavy machinery or driving long distances. Um, Surely I jest. (laughs) Yeah, listen to them all you want, but we would we'd love to have your feedback. We'd love to have your feedback. So Matthew eighteen one to eleven, Vicar, you want to read those words one more time? Get them fresh in everybody's mind. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, "Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. 
Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. There again we have that little ones uh, in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Uh, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, uh, earlier in our text, to sin. Uh, Vicar, verse 10, is it the same little ones word? It is exactly the same. Uh, micron, which is small, small child, possibly infant. Small, small child, uh, possibly uh, babe in arms kind of a thing. So uh, we're talking about uh, God's gift of faith, God's gift of children. Um, Pastor, this uh, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Um, Jesus is obviously talking in hyperbole here. Otherwise, we would have lots of one-armed, one-legged, one-eyed people running around. Or, or no-armed, no-legged. <laughs> We'd all be stumpy, right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so um, what is Jesus teaching us here with this uh, hyperbolic, shocking talk with regard to sin and punishment and judgment? Well, he's teaching us that um, in comparison to eternity that God is promising in him, nothing in this life really matters. It's better to have no arms, no legs, no property, no house, no home, uh, but to stay in the faith than it is to use your hands and your legs and your eyes to sin and have that sin hurt your faith. Right, uh, we teach this in the uh, uh, the book of Concord that the issue with open unrepentant sin, uh, it's not that it's not forgiven by God. It is all sins forgiven, but what it does is it hurts your faith, and when it kills your faith, that's the way that you can still go to hell. Right, if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died for you, and so if your sin hurts your faith, um, that's a problem. So rather than to have that happen, you know, Jesus is saying it's better if you would just cut off your hand or your foot, not expecting you to, but really uh, by those words, uh, he's, he's pleading with you to forsake your body and the things that you are for the sake of his word and his promises, to believe uh, the very way that a young child does, uh, no matter what. And by using such a shocking talk, uh, hopefully to get our attention, as to the seriousness of this discussion. Hell is real. Judgment yes. is real. There will be, sadly, real people in the fire and judgments of hell uh, that have both arms, both legs, both eyes, but they're going to be suffering the torments of hell for all eternity. 
And I, th I think, you know, to build on something you were saying before, too, I don't think we can read this particular part of the Bible and not think about some of the things that have happened in churches with uh, pastors and their altar boys and things like that. This is not a good thing. We cannot despise these kids and treat them like they're uh, replaceable or like they'll grow out of something or anything like that. Uh, sin is sin. We have to treat people all with the respect and love of, of Christ. And I hope I'm making sense what I'm saying. You, you are. Uh, you're tangentially. not. You're not speaking cryptically to anybody who is in touch with what happens in churches. And woe to the one through whom such temptations come. Yes. Those words. Those words are very real. Um, see to it after after this shocking talk. Jesus says, "See to it that you do not despise." one of these little ones. So Jesus comes back, and I would maintain he is extolling once again not only the gift of faith, but he is extolling the gift of children. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. And then he uses the example, uh, teaching us the only reference to angels in this entire text, why this is chosen for the gospel reading for St. Michael and all angels. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So, Pastor, we tend to mock these uh, silly little television shows like Touched by an Angel or Angel in My Pocket and people who, who want to believe in angels but don't believe in God. Are you trying to tell me that based on these words from Matthew chapter uh, 18 that people actually do have a guardian angel? Is that what this text is teaching? Well, it's teaching that they're, in a sense, yes, they have a guardian angel. There's an angel that watches over them and at the same time is also before the face of God. Almost Okay, okay stop. A guardian angel who watches over them and at the same time has their face where? In the presence of God. So we cannot detach the ministry of angels which are real created beings by God, holy, sinless, impossible for them to fall away, who worship God and serve God by serving us. We cannot detach the ministry of angels from the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Am I, am I, am I getting this right? You are, and in fact, to go back to your example of touched by an angel or you know, the, uh, the uh, It's a Wonderful Life or The Bishop's Wife or The Preacher's Wife and all these other movies and things that Hollywood puts out, there's their problem, right? Is these angels uh, are not before the presence of God at the same time they're helping the people. These angels are confused and trying to figure out what to do, whereas the real angels are right where God is and, and can listen to whatever God says whenever God says it and can make things the way God wishes. And, and so... The real guardian angels that Scripture speaks of here are much more effective than the bumbling, confused Clarence or even the touchy-feely ladies of touched by an angel who are, you know, trying to emotionally heal people. Uh, real angels are much more direct and, I want to say this word and hopefully they get what I mean, much more manly. <laughs> Um, than, than that. Not that angels are men or women. They're not. But 
they're straight to the point and they they fix whatever God wishes at his word. Okay, so so here we are on uh, our celebration of St. Michael and all angels. And we have a gospel text that is 99% not about angels. And yet the one verse that does touch on the ministry of angels as an example or extolling God's gift of children teaches us so much about angels that if we would have this verse in mind, we could not separate, we could not get off on some beaten path with regard to the work of an angel or the appearance of an angel or the message of an angel that was contrary to what God's Word says clearly in the 66 books of Scripture. And I'm thinking here about our friends down the street at Good Shepherd, uh, our friends that have an angel on top of their temple, uh, an angel by the name of Moroni, uh, Moroni, Moroni, don't want to offend anybody here, but um, an angel that brings any other gospel other than the gospel that I have proclaimed to you, Galatians chapter 1, is of Satan. Let that message be anathema. And so I think this is a good place for us to bring things to a close. Angels are real, folks. They serve God, they worship God, and God sends them to minister to you. Whether you realize it or not is irrelevant. Thank God for all of his gifts, his gift of Jesus, his gift of faith, his gift of children, his gift of angels. Vicar, bring us to a close. Collect of the day. Everlasting God. You have ordained and constituted the service of angels and men in a wonderful order. Mercifully grant that as your holy angels always serve and worship you in heaven, so by your appointment they may also help and defend us here on earth. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Poppy. We'll see you again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ. And when you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your newspaper, pray for your pastor, and most importantly, go to church and hear the Word of God. <laughs>